0: Welcome to the Cattle Call Podcast. Today we're starting another career call. Uh, so before we go, we call our guest, let me go ahead and call Brooke Latech. Hello, Brooke. Hi Pedro, how are you? Pretty good. How are you doing? I'm doing great, thanks. Is it a good time for a call? It's always a great time for a cattle call. <laughs> great, great. Uh, so today we have Dan Macon. Dan um, is is he works at the ANR. He's a county director, livestock and natural resource advisor, county director in blaster in nevada counties and also uh uh, advisor on Sutter in yuba counties i'm sure he's going to talk more about this i I hope i didn't mess up uh it's before we call then i just want to to mention that then also has a podcast and before we we started ours he was one of the first people that i reached out to to ask about podcasts so he's a person that he it's been our release for a long time. So then thank you very much for, for accepting our invitation and, and for being here today with us. Thank you for the invitation.
1: This is this is always fun to, to do this sort of thing. So thank you. Good morning. Yeah. How are you guys?
0: Good, good, good. How how is everything up north?
1: We got rain yesterday. So everybody, at least everybody that grows grass is happy this morning.
0: Okay, that's good. That's great. That's great. So then uh and and that's that's I, I already mentioned that you, you live up north, but to to get started, can you tell us uh where you're from and, and what you do?
1: Absolutely. Um I I actually was born in, in Southern California, but my family moved to uh the Sierra Foothills when I was, I think, four months old. So I grew up in Sonora, which is uh in the gold country, kind of just north of Yosemite. And um was there until I graduated high school and then went to Davis and uh my wife and I have lived in the Auburn area um in Placer County now for almost 30 years um so been in the foothills most of my life and and been up here
0: kind of northeast of Sacramento for about 30 years that that's nice and and I mentioned about your like county director's and advisor role can you tell us a little bit more about like your job, how how you decided to go to that position? Like you mentioned that you went to Davis for school. You grew up uh, a little Southern Davis, then move up up north. Uh, how how was that decision? And deciding to go uh, to like your your bachelor's degree is is in in agriculture and, and more economics, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. so how did you decide to do that and and how much that uh, influenced your daily job, and what what do you do uh, more yeah. specifically? Yeah,
1: so I uh, <laughs> I'm one of those people that um, has taken a long time to figure out what I wanted to be when I grew up, um, and and whether I was going to grow up at all to begin with. <laughs> <laughs> So, out, I, I, my bachelor's degree is in agricultural economics, as you said, and and after college, I went to work um, in industry for a bit. I, my first job out of school, that wasn't working for my family, uh, was working for the California Cattlemen's Association, and um, I did that for about six years. Um, actually, got one of my responsibilities there was was the California Feeder Council. So I. I got to come to the Imperial Valley a couple of times a year early in my career, which was great. Um, I did a whole bunch of things between the California Cattlemen's Association and in ending up with Cooperative Extension. But one of the one of the interesting things that happened way way back in that first job was that um, two people from Extension, Dr. Jim Olchin, who you guys know. And Mike Connor, who was the superintendent at the Sierra Foothill Research and Extension Center, both sat me down at separate times and said, "Dan, you want to think about cooperative extension." And from that little seed planted clear back before the before 2000, um, I, it kind of through a winding path led me led me here. So um, the counties that I serve run from the middle of the Sacramento Valley. Um, I think the lowest elevation in my four counties is 20 feet above sea level, which I know is a lot higher than the Imperial Valley, (laughs) Um, up over 10,000 feet at the crest of the Sierra and and clear to the Nevada line. So um, a lot of variability in terms of of rangeland types and production systems. And um, it's a really, it's a cool place to work, particularly having grown up in this kind of environment, I get to get to do everything from Sac Valley to, to sagebrush and, and I really enjoy that variability, that variety. That,
0: yeah, that's great. One thing that you just mentioned at the end that I'm I'm curious about is you mentioned like you grew up in this environment, but how 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 was growing up? Like were you involved in agriculture or and how you took the decision to go to work in agriculture? That that even earlier decision uh, yeah. Were you considering like doing other things, or and and how was going to school in Davis and 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 like going straight to to a new job? But how how was that decision before going to school? I'm just curious about that. <laughs> that's a that's a great question. Um,
1: I kind of grew up around agriculture, and certainly as part of the part of the community that I grew up in, ranching, um, ranching, and and forestry but I didn't really think about agriculture as a career. Um, and I, I ended up going to Davis. Um, wasn't even clear what a land grant university was. I don't think when I got in at Davis and agricultural economics seemed like the closest thing to a business degree that I could get, I was planning to go to work in my family's auction business and, um, once I started taking courses and getting involved in you know kind of agricultural student groups on campus I, I really realized that I had a passion for for working in agriculture and working with livestock in particular I see. Um, so I, that college kind of pointed me in that direction which was great mm-hmm.
0: so but, but you, your family like you mentioned they, they they had a business in in agriculture an auction and we then, did
1: auctions some agriculture we did just about anything that you could sell we tried to sell so everything from houses to, to tractors to horses
0: and and uh one thing that i really like new on you, on you is is your ability to communicate do you think this early exposure to to selling things and, and it, it helped you like in this in this communication skills uh, yes, it did. It did uh, Anybody
1: that has ever been an auctioneer i think is is a ham, and there's certainly an element of that for me um I'm not intimidated being on this side of a microphone, so I think that definitely helped
0: that that's great and and uh, you mentioned you you graduated you went to some jobs in the industry and Let's say you were exposed by uh, by Dr. Ochin and to, to an extension, mm-hmm. and that's and that's what I'm assuming one of the things that led you to to think about doing extension. But how how is your job as an extension uh, advisor like? Looks like how what can you tell us what you do? What is what is your favorite thing like that you like to do, and and how how much do you like that?
1: yeah you know, um I think one of the things I really like about these these county based extension jobs is just the variety um, you know there's there's some seasonal cycles to to the work that I do, like there is for everybody um, and and I like that quite a bit. My program kind of focuses on three broad areas. Um, so I, I do some natural resource work, um, working on livestock predator issues, which are pretty big for the producers here, um, working on drought and wildfire, which are big issues for us. Um, but then I also get to do some research and and a lot of teaching, a lot of extension on animal husbandry. And I really like helping people build new skills and and new producers kind of get engaged in the network of producers that we have here. Um, I find that really, really enjoyable. And then the third element is, and they're all, I mean, for all of us, these are all interrelated, but the third element is agricultural business viability. So helping people that are trying to ranch as a business, improve their profitability and um, think about new enterprises objectively. Um, And, you know, I'm sure that you guys find this too. I think producers learn so much from other producers and sometimes our job in extension is to bring people together so they can share ideas and i i I really find that rewarding i love love watching people talk to one another and and get excited about trying new things from talking to other answers
0: that's that's great one one of the questions that i uh, I often like to ask here then is uh it seems like you had uh some some jobs before you started in in extension. But how what were the, the biggest challenges when you were starting this this extension job? I uh, it looks like you're already involved in the community, so it probably helped you. But what what were some challenges that you had and, and things that you were not expecting uh that you said, Oh, I should like be prepared for that if if I'm starting a job like this?
1: You know, I I my experience was probably very different than most in that I had been in the community that I'm working in already. Um, but that said, I think one of the the challenges or one of the ahas for me was um, just kind of the size of this organization. And um, particularly having been a business owner myself, and we still have a, a small sheep operation, you know, when I have to make a decision in the sheet business, I look in the mirror. That's that's the only other person I need to think about, typically. And for an organization the size of A&R to make a decision, it's a much longer and more complicated process. And sometimes I think that can be frustrating. You know, when we see something that, that obviously needs to get done or that we need to, to do differently, um, it's not as easy in many cases is us simply making that decision and moving forward that that we've got to bring the whole organization along with us and and that that can be challenging, but it probably also keeps us um from from going too far afield before uh-huh. our clientele are ready to go that far afield you know there's some benefit to it i think too i yeah
0: and and it's it's awesome that you you have these uh I think like it's it's experience. I don't know how to name that uh, this opportunity to be on both sides. Like you, you are the producer and you are the also working extension, so you can fit both hats. I would say and, and answer questions uh, on on both both sides. I I really really uh, like that. One one thing that so another question that we often ask is what are the the resources that you you think it helped you when you were starting your career? Uh, and maybe this exposure is one of them, but are there other resources that you think that helped you when you were first starting your, your career?
1: All of us stand on the shoulders of people who took time to mentor us. And and there's been a number of those folks in my career that um, that have been really, really helpful in that regard. Um, and, and in some cases, people who didn't even know that they were mentoring me, you know? Um an offhand comment here or there, or simply taking the time to to uh, be able to bounce ideas off of somebody, that's all really, really valuable. And I think as i've as I've gone on in my career, remembering to do that when other people have questions has been really important for me. I think I think part of being mentored is is committing to mentoring others. Um, who have similar questions or or similar challenges I think um that's been huge for me and I think the other realization I guess for me is that mentors are not always people who are older than I am. Um, I learn a lot from people who are in school now or or just out of school and um, I think having those kinds of of opportunities and relationships are important in this career just to keep our perspectives fresh and and um and make us rethink our assumptions i've i've had a chance to work with a couple of um phd students in the animal science department at davis on some of their their phd research and it's been hugely valuable for me just to to see the world through those eyes and and be around people who are um innately curious about the world it's been really great
0: no, that, that's awesome. And you, you kind of answered that that would be my, my next question is uh <laughs> I I always like to ask people about their, their mentors and, and how much that affect their career or things in and how to to look for mentors and, and one thing that you brought is uh that I, I loved is uh your mentor is not always an older person than you. Like I I've had people that I've learned so much and they are younger than me they they just the fact that sometimes we get used to see things in a way and when you bring some younger mind or whatever they can show you things you know what I wasn't looking at that way that's that's yeah. super nice yeah. but but I I really like that you mentioned about the your mentors and 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 i mean if you if i don't know if you've thought if 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 you talk everything about that but if there is anything else that you want to mention about this because i think this is so important finding those mentors if how if you could just i mean point something that you when you're looking for mentors that you like that you think oh that's very important is there anything like that i know you already talked a little bit about the mentors but is there anything else that you would like to talk because I think this is one of the most important things that that I like to point out in these in these type of episodes. You know, I think I think a lot of
1: us look for mentors who are doing things that we think we would like to do and I, there's a lot of value in that. Um there are a number of of other advisors that I still look to as mentors um just to kind of learn how to be in this role. Um, and, and similarly, my county director role, you know, talking to, to people that seem to navigate that maze um, better than I is, is really helpful. But I also think, and sometimes it it's hard to push myself to do this, but I think it's really important, is to look for mentors who are doing something totally different than what I'm doing or who see the world totally different than I see it. Um, and in some cases, I think looking for mentors that come from an entirely different culture or background is really valuable, um, and helps, has helped me grow as a person to be able to see the world through different eyes. Um, I've had the chance to, as I said, to work with some, some students at Davis, um, one of whom comes from an entirely different background than I culturally and ethnically. And, um, it has, as that relationship has evolved and and I think there's a level of trust that you have to develop with a mentor, between a mentor and a mentee. And as that level of trust gets established, we've been able to have some really valuable conversations about kind of how somebody else sees the world and how the world sees her. And um, I think that's helped me become more empathetic and more creative. Um,
0: in the way I approach the job, that's awesome. That's that's great. Uh, I think before we 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 jump into our final final questions, one thing you mentioned you work uh, a lot with sheep, uh, and I know we have a second episode to talk about specific research, but I don't think we're going to specifically talk about sheep <laughs> in the next episode. But can can you just give us a, a broad Perspective of, of the sheep industry in California. Uh, I know it's it's a cattle call, but I, I like we are <laughs> the, the, they're all uh, ruminants, and and for people who live down here in the valley, we've seen a lot of sheep coming down here recently. Yeah, uh, and and can you just like talk a little bit about the sheep industry in in California, like, and you can. Tell about your podcast so so if if we want to to learn more about this, just go there
1: and, and <laughs> yeah that, that I'll put a plug in for the podcast for sure um California is really unique in the sheep industry as we are in lots of other parts of agriculture um but one of the unique things here is that um due to the climate kind of in the the Delta down through the San Joaquin Valley and and certainly down into your area. We're pretty dry, but we have a long growing season. And so um, largely California is a fall lambing system which is unique really in the rest of the country. We're, We're lambing when the rest of the country's finishing lambs, which means we're finishing lambs when the rest of the country's lambing. Um, which, which gives us some unique marketing opportunities here. Um, we still have, we're, we're depending on the year, the second or third, um, biggest sheep state in the U S biggest producer of lambs and usually the first or second producer in terms of wool. So wool is still really important in the commercial industry here, um, and we, because of our dry climate, most of the large-scale commercial operations are fine wool sheep ramblet primarily. Um, and so um a lot of high-end um garments come out of, of California wool. We also have a uh ra- fairly rapidly growing kind of small and specialty sheep um, industry segment, um, folks that are doing targeted grazing to manage fuels or manage weeds. Um, we've got a, a growing sheep dairy segment of the industry, which I think is really interesting. Um, lots of interest in, in sheep's milk cheese, primarily. Uh, the other unique thing down in your part of the world is that um, you've got all this alfalfa stubble and other crop aftermath in the wintertime when when the climate is just spectacular for sheep. And um, we see a lot of lambs coming out of the, the inner mountain states. Um, Lambs that were born late spring have been on um, public land probably most of the summer. And as they bring them off public lands up there, they wean those lambs and anything that still needs to put some more weight on comes down and grazes the alfalfa down there in the valley. And I've not been down there in years to see it, but those lambs just pack on the pounds down there it's such a great environment to, to finish lambs in and you know they just they they are amazing so those lambs are all going to be in the valley until they reach a finished weight and then they'll come back up to northern california for processing and um and marketing but it's it's a neat it, it just all the moving parts of the sheep industry here are really interesting
0: that's that's great one one question that you were, like, while we were, you were talking, I was just thinking here. And you don't have to answer this if you don't want to, okay? <laughs> but are there major reasons between a sheep and a cattle producer? <laughs> <laughs> and the good points of each or their class is similar. I don't know. i just curious.
1: You know, it's interesting. Up here, in particular, almost every cattle family, if you if you push them hard enough, started with sheep. Um, and I think the, the reason that a lot of operations moved to cows first, you know, nobody ever goes to the store and say, Hey, can I buy a, a sheepherder's hat? They always mm-hmm. want a cowboy hat. Nobody wants a sheepherder's hat. <laughs> so there's a, a prestige to raising cattle, I think. But the other issue that drove people to cattle was the labor required in sheep. You got to put your hands on sheep five or six times a year. Yeah. And as labor became more costly and and as predators became more of an issue, um, people moved to cows. What we're seeing here, though, actually, and, and we've done some research into drought strategies up here, is that a lot of cattle people are looking at sheep as a way to diversify their enterprises and as a kind of a drought buffer that sheep, can tolerate drier conditions maybe better than cows, and so it's a mm-hmm. this multi species approach I think is starting to to take hold again where people are adding sheep to their existing cattle
0: operations that's cool that's nice yeah uh, one 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 last question you mentioned like the cattle go up cattle sheep go up to be market where where is this uh sheep meat going is 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 it staying in california like how do you see the market right now for for sheep eaters we could probably
1: spend the entire podcast and (laughs) some on that question um Uh kind of nationally there are are kind of three segments of high demand for lamb Um, west coast is is a great place to market lamb the east coast and then the upper midwest and that's largely driven by ethnic demand, um, largely, largely Muslim demand in the in the upper Midwest. One of the things that happened during the pandemic is that um, going into the pandemic, about half of the domestic lamb, of which about ninety percent is is processed in California, was going to food service. So it was going to hotels and cruise ships, which disappeared in March of twenty twenty, and the industry really quickly retooled and focused on retail and we saw tremendous increases in retail demand during the pandemic. Um, people trying lamb that hadn't tried it ever. And I, that's that's a really positive development in our, in our industry. I think there's since been some challenges with imported lamb and price discovery and all of that, but but it's not a bad thing that people are eating more lamb today than they were in 2019. And I think that's a yeah. that's a great opportunity.
0: No, that's that's great, Brooke. Do you have any any question, or can I just go ahead and and jump to our final quick questions? Um, I don't have any questions. That was a pretty good overview of sheep, so I feel like I learned a lot. That's that's great. So then we we have three. We say that those are quick. Answers, but sometimes like we just take forever <laughs> to answer them as so, well. No, but uh, the first the first question, and I don't know what you're going to answer, but I may have some. You have uh, a guess, probably. Uh, yeah. <laughs> what What is your favorite food? Oh gosh, let me think about it. Uh, lamb. <laughs> what I, is What is the best way to cook to cook a lamb? So,
1: it depends on the cut, but I will say we have a um, we don't have the the same quality of Mexican food as you all have in the Imperial Valley. But there's a Mexican restaurant in the mountains up up by us that does lamb shanks that are the best lamb shanks I've ever eaten. And I told the guy I'd bring him a whole lamb cut and wrapped if he'd give me the recipe.
0: Mm-hmm. And he refused.
1: <laughs> he would not take the deal. <laughs> so I've got to I've got to do some further research on what the recipe might be.
0: Uh, okay, so let me try to get something out from you now. What, what is what is your be- the best way that you cook a, a lamb? I like
1: to do a rack of lamb, Argentinian style. Okay. Um So on the grill, and um, that's that's probably my favorite way to cook lamb. That's great. That's great. Yep.
0: Uh, the second one is what what does like you usually plays in your in your radio? I know you, you, you listen to podcasts as well, but what type of song do you like, or or maybe it's a podcast? I don't know.
1: Ah, uh, let's see. You, you know, I'm I'm a mid fifties guy that grew up in California, so classic rock or mm-hmm. Americana. Steve Earle, Jason Isbell, Emmylou Harris. Nice. Um, that's probably what you'd hear
0: great great uh one of the last the last question is what is something that you you would like to go back in the day and tell your younger <laughs> self like what is something that you know today that that then finishing school would like to know
1: well since this is a podcast and nobody can see me one of the things i'd go back and tell my 22 year old self is what happened to all your hair <laughs> but on a more serious note, I, you know, I didn't, I didn't go back and get my master's until my mid to late forties. And I, if I were 22 and just finishing an undergraduate degree, I'd have probably told myself, don't wait that long to go back and get a master's do it. Go. I think it was good for me to work for a while, but I don't think in retrospect, it made sense to wait until I was extremely middle-aged to try to go
0: back to school. Yeah, no, that's that's a great, great, uh, great advice. Well, one, one question that I, I try to ask sometimes, I forget to ask, but what do you see as a next step for agriculture? What do you mm-hmm. see is as the future? And you can just point out the lamb industry. Uh, what is there something that you see? Okay, that's something that we should focus on. To move things forward in this industry? That's a great question.
1: I I think there's there's kind of three things that I think are are great opportunities for the sheep industry. One is that in the face of climate change in California, wildfire issues are only gonna they're gonna be with us for the foreseeable future. And sheep in particular offer so much flexibility in terms of managing fuel loads, in um, particularly, you know, around urban areas and suburban areas. Um, cows do as well, but, but sometimes it's harder to put cattle um, next to a neighborhood. And I think that's a huge opportunity for us. We, we need more sheep doing that kind of work. I also think um, that there's kind of this renewed interest in natural fibers. Um, particularly as we think about synthetics and about how synthetics are made and how long they persist in the environment, that um, there's a huge opportunity for wool, again, not just in heavy wool clothing, but, you know, performance clothing and athletic clothing, those types of things. And then the last thing that I think we saw with the pandemic is people's connection with the meat that they're eating you know their ability to source things directly from producer or as close to the producer as they can and i think as we get better at producing a consistent yet high quality product that there's tremendous opportunity to expand on that and to develop kind of these local marketing networks that uh that help producers, but also um, meet the meet the consumers' that's, demand.
0: That's great. I mean, that's that's awesome. I think those are three three really really good points. Then uh, I I would like to thank you again for for joining us. It's it's been really really nice to listen about your career and 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 learn a little bit about the shipping industry. Uh, I would like to ask you to leave our listeners with what we call the kettle call top tip is is usually uh we've had books podcasts uh videos anything that you would like to leave our listeners with so they can go and search for something that will bring more knowledge to to their life like you uh i'm going to ask for your podcast again but you don't have to mention (laughs) your podcast as 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 your top tip but is there anything that you would like to leave our listeners with well, I definitely will. will plug the podcast. Um, it's
1: uh, sheep stuff you should know, and you is E W E. But it's it's fun. It's um, I do it in partnership with uh, Dr. Rosie Bush, who's our extension veterinarian for sheep and goats, and Ryan Mahoney, who's a cattle and sheep producer up here in Northern California. Um, I think the other tip that I would leave for producers or for students alike is find out who your local farm advisor is. Go. I, I, I love doing ride alongs where people just want to spend the day and kind of see what, what it is I do. Cause I learn a lot from that too, but find out who your local advisor is. And, you know, and if you've got a question or, or something in your business that's been nagging you um, throw it out to those folks, you'll be surprised at how creative, um, Cooperative extension folks can be in, in help and answer some of those questions.
0: Yeah, and I think that's uh it's a really good thing for for us who works in in university. I assume for Brooke too, probably a good day for her is when when we go out to a feedlot and we visit and we actually Captain see Wright. cattle and things yep. like that. Yeah. that's so that's that's a very nice advice. Last but not least, how can, can people you already mentioned about your work, but how can people Follow your work. I know you active on Twitter uh, or other social media or website that you that you have that that our listeners can can find you.
1: Yeah, yeah, I'm on Twitter um, at Flying Mule or at Flying Mule Farm. I can't remember which it is. Mm -hmm. Also on Instagram. Um, So just look for Dan Macon under each. Um, I do a blog uh, that's kind of focused on on Sierra Foothill ranching issues. Um called ranching in the Sierra Foothills. Novel name. <laughs> um, um and you know email me dmaking at U C A N R Edu. Always always
0: happy to hear from folks and to, to learn from other folks. So perfect. We we'll leave all of this information in the description of, of our episode. Great. So Brooke, anything else? Do you have any questions or nope, I think I'm good. Okay, then, do you have any final thing that that we should mention here in this episode?
1: just this has this has been really fun. Thank you guys for the invitation <laughs> okay. Lots of fun
0: no great, great then thank you very much for for again for accepting taking the time to to be here with us today. Uh, next week, we'll release another episode with Dan that will talk specifically about some research that he's been doing. So don't miss, miss that opportunity. So uh, thank you, Dan. Thank you, Brooke, for being uh, today here with us. Thank you for listening. And remember, it's always a good time for a cattle call.
1: are raging, a cowboy is singing this lonesome cattle call.